Oh, my God. 
Today is uh, Tisha B'Av. Today is the ninth day in the month of Av. Today is a national fast day for the Jewish people, a fast that began last night and will continue uh, here on the East Coast until sometime around 9 p.m. Check in your area, in your uh, city, your community, your neighborhood, when the fast, in fact, will end. Uh, today is Tisha B'Av, and we will have a... Uh, Kinos Observance on the air coming up at about 7.30 this morning here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Goldwasser will join me, Nachum Siegel, and we will have a um, have an appropriate Kinos service for this sad day. We begin with uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine and his discussion of the Haftorah that we read today. We do read a special Haftorah this morning on the Tisha B'Av. Once the uh, Torah reading has uh, concluded from the uh, fourth chapter of uh, Devarim. Um... Excuse me, from the yeah, from the fourth chapter of Devarim. Uh, we will then move on to the Haftarah from Yirmiyahu, Parakhet, the eighth chapter, for this morning's Haftarah before the Kinnis service begins. Rabbi Beryl Wine, Tishabav morning. This is JM in the AM. The Haftarah that uh, I'm going to deal with is the Haftarah for Tishabav for the ninth day of Av, the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. And the Haftorah is uh, from the prophet Yirmiyahu. You know that there's a word in English that's called a Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is an elegy, a, a sad, doleful uh, type of prophecy. Well, uh, this is the chapter that they got the word from. This Haftorah is not only uh, sad, but the Navi uh, recites it in almost a ferocious tone. And that's why it's according to the custom of the Ashkenazim, it is the Haftorah for the morning of Tishabov. The uh, Svardim have a different Haftorah, uh, which is uh, in its way uh, more, uh, I don't know when to say cheerful, but it's less ferocious than this one. I will utterly destroy them. That's the uh, usual uh, translation of the word I shall utterly destroy them. To gather them, meaning like to gather them off the face of the earth. Uh, it can also mean that I will gather all of the fruit and all of the food and all of the defenses possible against the enemy, and the Jewish people will be left exposed and bare. We will see that uh, this Haftorah fits in very well in the description of all the times of terrible trouble of the Jewish people, and that the Novi may have had our, uh, our generation, the previous generation, in mind. There are no grapes on the vine. And there are no figs in the, on the fig tree. 
and the leaves have withered. And whatever I gave them as a gift, Yavrum has since passed away from them. There is nothing left for them. And the Forshim here say as follows. Grapes are the uh, most uh, important of all of the fruits in the world because from grapes you can make something. You can not only the grapes, you make wine, which is the has always been, at least in Jewish life, the most important of liquids. So grapes are representative. Sometimes you have people who are creative. It's not just the person himself. It's that this person can influence so many others. This person can benefit so many others. So they have been taken away. There are no more grapes on the vine. But at least you have people left, people in their own right, even if they're not necessarily effective with others, but they as a, as a person exist. That's teinim bateino, the figs and the fig tree. You can't do much with figs except eat them. But the fig itself is a nourishing, sustaining food. There are no figs in the fig tree either. There are no people left. And not only that, there are people who themselves are shallow, who themselves are of little social value who don't contribute that much to society. Uh, they're there for window dressing. They're there for show. They also are not here. The novel, their representative of the leaf on the tree, which is there for protection and for show. It cannot be eaten, but it's part of the tree also. And the leaves have also withered. Every gift that I gave them, God says, Yavrum has been taken from them by the enemy. We have this concept many times in Tanakh, and the irony of life is that a person never knows who one really toils for. I, we don't know for whom the bell tolls. You really don't know whom you're saving your money for either. Because many times... Uh, it ends up in the hands of the government or the lawyers or all sorts of things that one never imagined. And it's taken. The Avrum, it's taken away. All the gifts that one had that could have been used for a positive and strong uh, action, all of that has been taken away. Almo anachnu yoshvim. So the people who live in the scattered cities in the defenseless towns, so they say, well, what are we doing here? What are we staying here exposed? They're convinced that if they go to the main cities where the defensive walls have been constructed, that they will be saved. Let us come and gather and go to the fortified cities, to the cities that are well protected. So here again is the, not only the imagery of refugees on the run, uh, but the, the nature of people 
is to try and find some sort of refuge and improvement in their situation. So the people don't realize that it's a general calamity. They feel that they'll be safe somewhere else, which is what happened in the Second World War in Eastern Europe, that no one imagined a general calamity. And they thought that if they went to Vilna, they'll be safe, or to Warsaw, they'll be safe without realizing that there was no longer any safe haven. Benidim Hashem. Benidim Hashem, we will be silent there. So silence here is uh, uh, an ironic word. They say we'll be silent, we won't be noticed. We'll be able to blend into the society and we'll be able to escape and be part of it. And the Lord says, Vinid Masham, there they will be struck dumb. They will be made silent. They'll be cut off. And the Novi continues how futile that is. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Hadimonu. The Lord our God has silenced us. So the silence is that we cannot even pray to Him. The doors are closed. Ninalu Sharet Fila. The gates of prayer are closed. Nothing could move him anymore. But there is a stage in human existence that is beyond our understanding where the gates of prayer are closed. We find that uh, in the personal life of Moshe, our teacher, who God told him, it's in the Parsha of Eschanon, so Moshe prayed unto God. He broke down the gates of prayer, and God told him, that's it, forget it. Stop it. And the Rebbe Shalom said, Rav, it's enough. I don't want to hear anything more. So there is a, uh, a gap between our understanding of the world and our understanding, so to speak, of the nature of the Creator and the reality of it. So the Lord has silenced us. Because even our traditional weapons of prayer do us no good anymore. He has given us to drink the waters, the poisonous waters. Rosh is a poison. It's polluted waters. Because our sins have overwhelmed us. We have sinned to God. And therefore, this tragedy has occurred to us. Meirosh is a, an interesting uh, phenomena because when the person, according to the Meforshim, when the person begins to drink the water, he doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with the water. It's not till the aftertaste sets in. It's a little like uh, ShopRite Cola. That the, it's only after the aftertaste sets in do you realize that it isn't so good. And then it's too late, right? And here it's poisonous, in fact. It's corrupted. It's, uh, it cannot be, uh, cannot be consumed. So this also is an imagery of how the Jewish people were. They drank strange waters. They served strange gods. So while they were drinking it, they thought everything was fine. Now the aftertaste has caught up to them. Now they realize that they have poisoned their system and that God will not overlook it. Kaveh shalom ve'en tov. 
We hoped for peace. But there's nothing good that happened. No good came upon us. We hoped for a time of healing. Marpe is like with an olive. This is spelled with a hay, but it's the same word. Marpe, we hoped for a time of refua, time of healing, vihine vasa, and instead of that, there's terror. Vasa is terror. The terror, the panic. That is, that, that is the, uh, the psychological fright that we know is many times as bad, if not as worse, than the actual physical danger. We saw in Israel, never the people died of a heart attack. One of my uh, Talmudim, five of my Talmudim were in Eretz Yisrael for, for these two weeks, and they came back. And one of them told me that, uh, that uh, Friday there was a uh, thunderstorm in Tel Aviv, and the peal of the thunder, people ran into the shelter because of the fact that they thought the Patriot missiles were going. That's the terror. That's the fright. He said other Jews stood on the street and recited the bracha out loud. There's a bracha that you make on thunder. Which is, again, the same, the reaction to it. I have, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein deserves some credit. I have, I have uh, someone in Israel that I... Uh, I've dealt with for many, many years regarding uh, certain uh, foundations that uh, the yeshiva has been able to uh, to get some money from, and we've been able to place people. And, uh, interesting. So the person is a, an agnostic, if not an atheist. It comes when they come to the yeshiva to visit the yeshiva, they like they don't know how to put on a yarmulke. It's uh, it's against their conscience, their inner conscience. But, uh, you know, Rabbi Wine's a nice guy. I always treat him nicely, and I write to him. So I wrote to him uh, two days ago. I faxed him something. And the fact that I hope in Mir Tzashem to be in Israel in the next uh, few days, relatively speaking, and that I have to meet with him, and I want to know if the meeting is on, etc. And if he could... Uh... So I got the fax back this morning. And he writes in the fax. He wrote it out with his own hand, not with a typewriter. He wrote it out with his own hand. And he says, When you come, God willing, to Jerusalem, you know, we'll talk about these and these matters. Right? The guy writes in Yurtzah Hashem. Yeah, so you cannot say that he doesn't have some effect, our friend Saddam. But it's a frightening thing. That's the terror. Behold, we thought that there would be a time of healing, and instead it's a time of terror. Midon Nishma Nachara Susov. This is the description of the enemy. From Don in the north, we hear the neighing of his horses. We hear the noise of his horses, of the, uh, of the uh, cavalry charging. So when the horse charges, he breathes heavily through his nostrils, so you hear that sound. So to us, uh, where we're no longer in, in horse and uh, cavalry warfare, so we would say, you hear the sonic boom of the jets, you hear the explosions, you hear the sounds of war. 
They say that one of the uh, most frightening things in the modern battlefield is simply the noise. The noise is of a nature that it paralyzes people. So that's, we hear it coming from the north, Midon. Mikoyim Itzhalo Sabirov, we hear the voices, the shouts of their heroes, of their strong men. In the ancient world, even as late as the American Civil War, the rebel yell. In the South, uh, when the soldiers charged, so they had a special yell. And in all of the uh, records of the Civil War, anyone who heard the rebel yell remembered it for the rest of their lives, both friend and foe. So that's the Mitzhalo Sabiro, the shouts of its heroes, the yell. All the earth trembles. It trembles because of the great mass of humanity that is moving. And they have come to consume the entire country, the land and everything that is in it. The city and all those who dwell within it. So the city refers to all the cities of Israel, but it refers always most specifically to the city of Yerushalayim, which is the city in the world. Now, because God says, Ki hineni tzifonim. I am sending amongst you snakes that are vipers. That's the description of the enemy. Tzifoni is a viper. That's the most poisonous of snakes. It's a snake that even if, that if it touches you, it destroys you. There are snakes that uh, nobody likes snakes particularly, but there are snakes uh, like the garden snake or the garter snake that uh, is not necessarily dangerous at all. It may even be beneficial. Keeps uh, keeps other uh, rodents and insects out of your tomato patch but then there are poisonous snakes but there are poisonous snakes that a person can recover from the bite they are not very poisonous it's not fun but there are poison and then there are snakes that are like vipers where the bite is lethal where the venom is such that it paralyzes the human nervous system in an instant and the person can't breathe, cannot come to himself. So that's, God says, on the snakes, the enemies that I am sending you, not nice enemies. You know, America in the middle of bombing Iraq, he says today, you know, that we're going to need $20 billion to rebuild it. Right? So, you know, that's America. Now, therefore, they already got in the budget, they're going to rebuild it. But uh, most uh, our enemies are nechoshim tzifonim. They are vipers. Asher ein lohem lochash. So ein lohem lochash has a double meaning. One meaning is that they have no venom. They have no venom, meaning uh, that they're so poisonous that you don't need any venom, right? They're just the teeth, the fangs alone kill. They don't have to inject you with a tremendous amount of venom. They are so lethal. Others learn, they make no noise. They are so stealthily 
careful to surprise you that they make no noise. You don't even realize that the snake is upon you. Others say, there is no antidote to their bite. Because uh, many snake bites have an antidote. And if a person injects himself with the antidote so he's able to survive, this is one that has no antidote. It has, there's no way to get rid of this bite. So all three pshotim mean the same, that you're talking here about a snake for which there is no defense. And they shall certainly bite you. Don't think that you will escape. So we have here, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a ferocity of vision. And you'll see that the Novi doesn't even ask the Jewish people to do tshuva. He doesn't say pray to God because he says it's useless. You know, you just, you got to take it. There's nothing there. It's irreversible. It's of no use. Mavligisi ale yogon. I strengthen myself. Mavligisi means I strengthen myself in my grief, in my sorrow, the Novi says. Olai libi davoi. Inside me, my heart is sad and broken. Why? Because the Novi's been saying this for 30 years. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now he sees that everything he said comes true. So there are people in the world, Nevach, that like to say, I told you so, who have a perverse pleasure over the fact that they are right. I see they always write for the Wall Street Journal. Right? I told you so. Nobody likes to hear, I told you so. Not in a family, not in a school, not in the community, not in the world. It doesn't accomplish anything. But here the Novi is genuinely heartbroken that his words have come true. Don't forget the Novi was put in jail for saying these things. He was in the dungeon. He was arrested a number of times. He was held up to ridicule. The kings of Judah said that he's a troublemaker. He's not telling the truth. The truth is that nothing's going to happen. And now he is vindicated beyond any imagination. So the Novi uh, humanly uh, would be allowed a moment, a glimpse of uh, self-satisfaction. I told you so. You didn't listen to me. Look what happened. But that's not the Novi Yermio. The Novi is heartbroken. I hear the voice, the shouts of the daughter of my people, meaning of my people, my daughter. She shouts from a far land. He sees them in the exile already. Jews scattered all over the world, far from their homes. Hashem ein b'tzion. Is God no longer in Zion? There are no Jews there. The temple is destroyed. There's no Jewish settlement. We, uh, who in our time uh, have never had to imagine, I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys, so in the yeshiva there is nobody there almost that uh, 
uh, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall, and uh, you know, to them, it's uh, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's no amongst us. There was always the, in our lifetime a great Jewish settlement in the land of Israel. But it was not always like that. In fact, for most of the time, it was not like that at all. We take it for granted. Take the state of Israel for granted. We take everything for granted. It's supposed to be that way. And we even have complaints that it's not the way we like it. I remember when I was a uh, child growing up in my uh, parents' home in Chicago, so uh, we used to get letters from Palestine, from my father's relatives, from my relatives. So the, the British, who always were very even-handed in, in these matters, so the stamp of Palestine had the Mosque of Omar on it. That was the stamp of Palestine. And uh, I remember my father used to peel off the stamp. He used to keep the stamps. So I once asked him, what do we need the stamps for? You know, the stamp, you can't use them here. <clears throat> so he said the stamp is printed in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew stamp. It says on it, it said Palestine in Hebrew. It said in Arabic and in English and in Hebrew. So the Eastern European Jews, if you saw a postage stamp printed in Hebrew, so that was, you know, that meant something. Different world, different understanding. So the, the God is not in Zion, right? The Jewish people are not there. Just as an aside, Israel has probably the most beautiful postage stamps in the world. They put out such a beauty. It was the 900th your side of Rashi. So they put out a stamp for Rashi and Rashi letters. It was just just beautiful, that stamp I have. Just beautiful. I mean, like, the right thing. Right thing to do. I commented on the yeshiva in that, too, that Greece never put out a stamp of Alexander the Great yet. Italy didn't put out a stamp of Julius Caesar. Right? They're all gone, right? He put out a stamp in Rashiksav, everybody caught it, you know. Everybody got, understood immediately the stamp. They didn't use the regular Hebrew, they used the Rashi Hebrew to put it out. So that's, uh, you know, that's the Jewish people. Imalko the king is not there, the, the royal palace is not inhabited. Where is God? How could such a thing happen? So God answers, Madua hi chisuni bifsilehem, b'havle nechor. Wow, how about them? Why did they anger me for so many centuries with their idols? B'havle nechor, with the vanities of the strangers. How did, why did they do that, right? Now they ask, what happened to God? God asks, what happened to you? Now, this is the ongoing conversation, which is the story of the exile of the Jewish people. We and God never seem to get the story straight. How did it happen? Ovar kotzir kolokoyitz. The harvest season has passed. Kayitz, the summer is gone. People thought that somehow we would be saved in the passage of time. Some miracle would come and stop the Babylonian army. A miracle would occur. 
It's interesting how all the contests remain the contests of the Bible, right? Babylonia, right? So we think Babylonia, Babylonia. Here it is, Babylonia. The old contests are all here. You know, Saddam Hussein uh, uh, named his nuclear reactor Tammuz 17, after the 17th day of Tammuz when the Babylonians cracked the walls of Jerusalem. He knows what he wants to do. He's not without... Uh, the only thing is he doesn't know that the Babylonians were on the 10th day of Thomas and the 17th day of Thomas were the Romans. <laughs> he doesn't know the Rashi, right? That he didn't figure out. But, but his message is clear, right? So the Babylonians are back. We thought we would be saved. We have not been saved. We have not been saved. This is a reference, a veiled reference to the fact that the Jews counted on the Egyptians to come to their aid. The Jews had an alliance with Egypt, and that was what they relied upon. The Novi said, rely upon God, and they relied upon the Egyptians, and the Egyptians never came. Al Shever Basami Hoshborti. Hoshborti means, I am broken over the fact that my people have been broken. The disaster of my people is my disaster. The Novi takes it personally. Again, that's uh, a trait of identity with the Jewish people, to be able to identify with the Jewish people. I always remember that as a little boy, my Zayda never allowed the house to be painted my, my, my aunt had arranged that the house should be painted for Pesach. It was 1943. And the Jew came to paint the house for Pesach. I paint now. And she evidently had done it without my grandfather's permission. And when in the, she, uh, my grandfather lived with them after my grandmother died, she lived with my aunt and uncle. So when he came home, uh, from shul, I happened to be there with my mother. So the painter came in and started setting everything up. And he looked around and he sees the painter is there. So he asked him, what's he doing there? So he said, my aunt, uh, you know, my aunt had ordered it. So he said, well, there must be a mistake. And he went in the kitchen. He told my aunt, he said, Jews are burning in the ovens. We're not going to paint the house for Pesach. And then he went and he paid the painter the whole amount of money because he knew the Jew needed the money for Pesach. So he took care of both things. I remember that like today. He gave him the money, and he didn't paint the house. He's not going to paint the house. Jewish people are in trouble. He's not going to paint the house. But that's an, you know, a, a feeling of identity. I don't, you know, you can't criticize Jews, but it's, you know, sometimes things are hard to look at. It's hard to see, you know what I mean? how people don't feel. People don't are not sensitive to what's happening. They're only they're worried about uh, their petty things. But Novi says, I am broken by the disaster of my people. Kodarti, I have become blackened. My face is black. Shama hechizikosni. Desolation holds me in its grasp. I am desolate. I have nowhere to go in the world. 
famous pasuk here, Chav Beis. Hatzori ain begilad. Is there no balm in Gilad? Is there no medicine to be found? Is there no doctor for us? Is there no healer that can help us? Why do my people find no solace? Why do they have no healing? Why is my blow such a blow that it cannot be healed? Now this is the in the King James Version and the translation of the Bible. Now this is the famous... Uh, Phrase, uh, baum in Gilead. Is there no baum in Gilead? Which in the modern English they already translate, you know, is there no Tylenol in the medicine chest? And the modern one is Azeon Tam, right? It's mamish without any sense. The, the King James Version is majesty. But, uh, you know, nobody likes 16th century English today. The, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? So the new one says, the Lord tends my sheep, I lack nothing. But the only thing you lack is sensitivity. So this is the famous phrase, Baum from Gilead. Me yitain roshimayim, alavai, would that my head would be a source of water that I could always weep. There are so many tears to be shed, and I don't have any more tears than Ovi says. I'm exhausted of tears. Aini Makordima, my eye to be the source of tears. If that would be Voevke Yomam Valailo, I would weep day and night. I would weep without interruption as Chalalei Basami over the corpses of my people, over the death that has overcome my people. But the Navi says, I have no more tears. I'm all cried out. I've wept so much that there's nothing left. So I have nothing more to say. Alavai said, I could be like in the desert, the inn that's in the middle of the desert. In the desert, uh, there were inns that were located at oases in the desert. So even though everything around is pure desolation, everything around is uh, parched land and drought and thirst, but at the inn there is some solace. At the inn there is comfort. So the Novi says, I'll avoid that I would be like that, right? In the midst of this desert of trouble, if I could find a place where I could find some comfort. If I found them, I would forsake my people. What do I need the trouble? But he says there's such a strong idea that there's no place in the world for a Jew to escape. Even if he wants to escape. Even if he feels justified in escaping, that God won't let him escape. I have nowhere to run. I'll go away from them. Because they're the ones that did it. They are all adulterers meaning they're all unfaithful. So the idea of adultery here is not only the fact that they were sexually immoral and that that was the tenor of the society as, as it unfortunately was, but the forsaking of God and of the Jewish religion 
is seen as being adultery because the relationship between God and Israel is the relationship of marriage. It is not to be seen as uh, it, it's described in Shirashirim in that fashion that God, so to speak, is the, the man and the Jewish people are the women in the matter and that it's a story of love, it's a story of a relationship, it's a story of loyalty one to another. So if a person is disloyal, so you unfaithful, it's not victimless crime, which is a great phrase invented in Western society. Victimless crime, right? It's not a crime. But it is a crime because it's not just what the person does, it's what that act does to the other person. The destruction that is caused to the other person by the infidelity. So there is, and the Novi says, the relationship to God is like that. They're unfaithful to the Rabbonishalo, the Matseres Bogdim. They're a convention of traitors, a convocation of traitors. Because again, the word here that's used is treachery, they're disloyal. They're guilty of treason. The, the, the imagery here is that a person's tongue is like a bow and it is like a bow. And the words that emanate from that tongue, that's the arrow. So means they have stepped on the bow. If you want to shoot a long way, so in the ancient world, the great archers would lie on their back and they would push the bow taut with their feet because that was, they were able to get a much greater tension than they were with their arms alone. And that was like the long-distance artillery. So that's Vayadrachu, from the word Dorach, to step. They stepped on their bows, but their arrow was lies. Their arrow was falsehoods, Sheker. That became the way of life. The way of life became one of lies. To lie to each other, to lie to oneself. That's what Chazal say, that the worst of all punishments of a liar is that eventually he only lies to himself. He himself believes the lies. The and they attempted to become giborim, heroes, strong men, powerful, but velolemuno, without faith. A person without faith cannot be strong, or rather the strength cannot be productive. Nothing good will come of it. This is the idea of Avera Goreres Avera. One sin drags you down to another one. Just as mitzvah Goreres mitzvah. If you do good things, so you end up doing a lot of good things. You do bad things, so then you end up with a whole peckle of Averas, right? I always say that you come to shul in the morning, right? So you daven betzibur, you put money in the tzedakah box, you hear a word of Torah, you say tilim, you go. Before you know, you got a package, right? You got something out of it. 
You go other places, so you know, it's not just the one Aveira, right? There's 15 Aveiras that come from it. Eat popcorn without a yarmulke. A lot of things happen before you know it. That's miro'o el ro'o yotso. They went from one evil to another evil. They didn't even realize what happened to them. The osi lo yodo num Hashem. Now this is a phrase that we'll see at the end of the Haftorah. They didn't know me. What does it mean, they didn't know me? They haven't got a clue what I want from them. That's the tragedy. You don't know what he wants. You don't understand what God wants from you. And that's not as easy as people think. People think, you know, if, if they're observant, if they're this, they're that, so then, you know, they're doing it. The Ramban says his famous statement, novel Torah. There's a, a person who is a novel who is obnoxious, and he does everything that's written in the Torah. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what God wants. He misses it. He misses the whole point. And that's a, uh, and the Novi especially here concentrates on human relationships one with another. On the uh, Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah. Because the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah is what has done us in over all the centuries. Somehow with God we can settle. Yeah, right? Yom Kippur, you can straighten a lot of things out with the Rebbeinu Shalev. But a society of cruelty, a society of evil, a society of lies and infidelity can't straighten that out. They didn't know me. They don't know what I want. They don't understand. Because we'll see at the end of the Haftarah, then all he says that the tremendous person is Haskel Viadoosi, the one that knows me, the one that that intuitively knows what's supposed to happen correctly. I always tell over the story from the Chafetz Chaim that I heard here from there was a, in our community there was a, a man that was a nephew to the Chafetz Chaim who lived a very long life. He died. He was in his nineties. And he came one evening, he, went, he was not a religious Jew. And he came one evening to speak to us. We had a social evening, I don't know if you remember, by, uh, by Stern, I think. And uh, he was telling stories. So he was, uh, he was raised uh, in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, in Russia. This is the Chofetz Chaim's family. He was raised in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, and he uh, received a, uh, a, a private education of the time. He was taking French lessons and music lessons, and, you know, he didn't know anything about being a Jew, practically. And then a terrible tragedy happened. There was a cholera epidemic, and both of his parents died. And he was left alone. And there was no relatives. So somebody in St. Petersburg knew that the Chofetz Chaim was a relative. So they took this kid from St. Petersburg and they brought him to Rodden, which is like itself a culture shock. And they brought him from this home, from this assimilated salon home in St. Petersburg to the Chofetz Chaim's uh, wooden uh, little hovel in Rodden. So he said, so the Chofetz Chaim took care of him. 
Chofetz Chaim himself took care of him. So the Chofetz Chaim went and hired a French teacher to teach, to continue the kid with French lessons. And he got a hold of a music teacher to continue the kid with music lessons. So listen to the story. So the people in Raden were up in arms. The Chofetz Chaim is not from. They're teaching French in the Chofetz Chaim's house. It's not from. So they came to the Chofetz Chaim to tell him that. I want you to understand, you know, the world never changes. The characters change, but the world doesn't change. So they came to him, they told him, Rebbe, it's past it. It's not nice. In the house of the Chofetz Chaim in Raden, you know, that a boy should come in and teach French to a Jewish boy, French language. So the Chofetz Chaim answered them. He said, Vos hartaich e malochim shmeichlin in himmel. He said, why do you, what's your problem if the angels in heaven are smiling? Ayosa, kid's an orphan. Comes to say, well, what, I mean, what's your problem here? And Chofetz Chaim was on a different wavelength. He had an intuition. What would God have done in such a situation? That's what he said. The malachim are smiling. That means that God approves of it. What would, what would Rabbi Nishalem have done? That's what he tried all of his life, to try and guess what would God do in the situation. That's really our task. Our task in being human is how would God react? Because I want to imitate him. I am his creature. I'd like to be like him. And that's what the Novi says, We always see no yodot, and you have a clue to me. That's the tragedy. That's the destruction. So everything else follows. Once you know, you know, once you once you lost it on the radar screen, right? So then it doesn't make any difference where you're going. The good good news, bad news joke, right? The pilot gets on the intercom and he says, "I have good news and bad news." Good news, he says, "We're ten minutes ahead of schedule." Bad news is that we're lost. That's really a very good description of our world, of our society. We're ahead of schedule, but we we have no idea where we're going. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. The other guy's out to cheat me. I have to guard myself. I can't take anybody at his word. Terrible situation, right? But we are aware of it, right? It's not, not far different from our situation. Person's word. Every man has to guard himself from his friend. And you cannot trust your brother. Right? Business is business. Money is money. Money destroys families. It's not a blessing. My wife is young, but I feel, you know, she hasn't got a gray hair in her shape. <laughs> Now, I'm all white, but I get, you know, the $10 million offer from Ed McMahon in the mail. I don't even open it. They're right in the garbage. I don't want it. I really don't want it. I'm past already. So there was a time, you know, I talked myself in the HLA, you know, I'd make $10 million. I'd give $9 million to the yeshiva. i get this, that, and today it's right in the garbage. Don't even want it anymore can't bring me any good. 
cannot trust your own brother. What a play on words. Every brother is a cheater. He will cheat you. Uh, here he uh, makes reference to Novi, to Esau's taina against Yaakov, for which we are still paying. Yaakov was 100% right and legal, but Ace felt that he was cheated. He said, Is it for nothing that he's called Yaakov? He's cheated me twice. Yaakov means to cheat. And all my friends, everyone who is a friend, goes and slanders me. Bears tales. Can't be trusted. Yeah, we are going to divide this after in two because one cannot take it in one. The ish bireehu yehoselu. Each man makes fun, mocks, but it means to cheat. When you cheat somebody, you mock him. An idiot. You know, he lets himself be cheated. One of my... I, I always um, almost make a vow. I don't, don't do it, but I almost make a vow to myself that I'm never going to go to a car dealer to buy a car. Because whenever I buy a car, no matter what, I walk out and I feel I was cheated. No matter what price. Because the, it's just just the way it works. Yeah, he's letting me have it. Oh, this extra and this and this. And he's going to give me this. And he's going to give me that. No, I walk out. I'm, I, I can, you know, I feel like, like vomiting. That's your Hoselu. They make fun of you. They've mocked you. They've mocked your integrity. The MS Dabeiru. And they cannot speak truthfully. There are no words of truth that they can say. Lindu Lishonam Daber Sheker. They have trained their tongues to speak falsely, that they cannot even tell the truth when it is in their best interest to tell the truth. Sometimes you know, we call that a pathological liar, but the Novi doesn't give in to uh, psychological excuses. They have trained themselves. Their tongue is trained that it doesn't say the truth. It's against the law to tell the truth. Look at the, uh, in the United States, we call the you know, truth in lending, truth in advertising bills. You know, they're telling you in advance that it's a lie. Everything it says on the first side of the page is a lie because you've got to turn around and see all the things they have to print in little print in fading ink on the second part of the page to tell you that everything was on the front part of the page isn't true. They're not responsible for it. You know? Like if you were a super saver, you know, if you go Saturday night with your mother-in-law at 11.30 at night with, a, with one bag, right, Gordon, you know, they got three seats for you like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to say $99 to Miami and you only in the little print you have six seats like that and every the other regular price is $400. You're not allowed to do that. But we expect it. We expect it. We're convinced that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you get away with it, then you're a good businessman. That We convince ourselves of that. That's a terrible thing. That's lindu l'shonam daber sheker. To train yourself to speak falsehoods. So to train yourself in a whole society to do that.
We pay a big price for that. I knew Rashi Yeshiva that they would look over the uh, the uh, brochures of the Yeshiva. I remember in the Chicago Yeshiva one, we had to have a catalog printed. We were going to get credits from the university, Agansa Meisa. So they had to they printed a catalog. So in the catalog, the uh, public relations man that printed it. So then we in our Yeshiva Kanaino Hard End there was like 330 boys in the base manager. We had a big Yeshiva. That, 35, 38 boys in every year. So he wrote close to 500 students. That's, uh, you know, it's close. 330 is closer to 500 than to zero. Not bad. I remember the Rabbi Fassman and the other ones, they didn't let it be printed. They pulled it. Yeshiva Kivan say, you say, over 300. You want to say something? Can't say close to 500. Not true. It stands against everything that the yeshiva is supposed to be. So that's the idea of limdu l'shonam daber sheker. Have nilu. Have to do things crooked. Nilu. They worked hard at it. It's just that you have to work hard to be a cheater. You have to many times work harder to be a cheater than to do it straight. In the uh, early history of the yeshiva, we caught uh, three young men who had cheated on an exam. And, well, and they had cheated on an exam. I mean, how they did it, you know, they, they were able to get a hold of somebody's key and make a copy of the key, and they came in like 2 in the morning, and they figured out the combination to the safe, and they got it right. So I threw the three guys out of the yeshiva. If you can, you can get a 30 in the yeshiva, and we'll keep you. Well, in fact, once you're in, you're in. But if you cheat, you're out immediately. All three of them have remained our friends till today. It was the best thing that ever happened to them. All three of them say that. In fact, we helped place them, etc. But they were out. So I said to them, look at the effort that you put into this. You know, if you would have put the effort into study, you would have got an A. This thing took you 12 hours to put together. You had to stay up nights and go find key. I'm like, what are you, crazy? Look at all the work you put into it. Why didn't you put the way into study the three hours, right? You get the A. It wasn't such a hard test. So that's what the Novi says. Have nilu. They worked hard to be that perverse, to do it crooked. Doesn't come easy. Crime, you know, I, I think the, uh, the guys that run the mafia could probably run, uh, you know, American Airlines all. Maybe they do. I mean, they can, uh, they're, they're put in a good hard day's work. All the schemes to beat the government, all the nefarious things that exist in the world, that's, uh, there's plenty of hard work, there's plenty of kishrin, there's plenty of genius in it. Misplaced, the Novi says. Shiv mirma. You have sunk, you have dwell in the midst of cheating. You have sunk so low that that's your way of life. And therefore, everything you do is that way, the Novi says. The Hashem. So their cheating is that they refuse to know me because they are so, they are so wild in their behavior, they're so perverse, they're so crooked, 
that they refuse to reckon with me. They refuse to know me. They refuse to realize that I'm not going to let them get away with it. The Novi here uh, really uh, minces no words. He pulls no punches. He says, that's what happened. That's the Hurban. If that's the Hurban, so okay, so then that's what's going to happen. I have, the Novi says, I have no easy, uh, I have no easy way out. I have no easy way to settle it with them. And therefore, uh, once this matter is expiated, so then we'll come and talk to them again. But right now, I can't do anything. Right now, their fate is sealed. The doom is upon them. This concludes this lecture. J.M. in the A.M. Tishabov morning. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. It is a minute after 7 o'clock on a uh, Tuesday morning Tish above here at JM in the AM. And we are exploring with Rivera Wine the Haftorah of today. Such an important chapter of Yermio. Today's Haftorah, this morning's Haftorah that we read. At 7.30 we will interrupt our uh, lecture portion of our program and Rabbi Goldwasser will join us live for our Kinnis service here at JM in the AM. Kinnis will be coming up. And um, we encourage everyone to stay tuned in. Tish above morning. Many reminders, including 2 o'clock today for the Mincha at the Isaiah Wall. Bring your towels and fill in. First Avenue, 43rd Street. Charlie Harari closes out Tish above at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Charlie Harari. With the missing link, Project Inspire with an amazing panel. That's happening at 6.30 p.m. here at the Nahum Siegel Network. <clears throat> Tomorrow, Matis presents the stories of Rav Shlomo Kalbach, our 10th of Av presentation. Thursday and Friday, we are live from Israel with our friends from NCSY and NCSY Summer Programs. We continue. Rabbi Beryl Wine on today's Haftorah. Today is Tishabov, and this is JM in the AM. The Novi says, Mi bamidbor malone orchim. Mi itneini means alavai. Would that God would place me in the desert, and I would be like an oasis. Malone orchim is an inn, an oasis. The idea of a desert, it's one of the great ideas that we have uh, throughout the Tanakh. A desert, me, it's a, it's a feeling that all of us have, that it, I would have a uh, terrific uh, business if I wouldn't have workers, if I could do it all myself. Or it would be a terrific society, a terrific school, or what, whatever, whatever organization we want to think of, uh, it's complicated by the fact that it's not a desert. It's complicated by the fact that there's a society that we have to contend with, and in that society are people and events uh, that are not necessarily uh, to our liking and who uh, are a deterrent, they're a drag. They make things worse. 
So the Novi says, I'll avoid it. I could escape from the Jewish people and I could go out to the desert. In the desert, I would be like our father Abraham, who uh, at the beginning of time uh, ran this great inn, Malone Orchim. Guests came and he could do whatever he wanted. When you have a Jewish people, when you have the whole people together, so then uh, there's baggage. Uh, there are problems. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. I will forsake my people. And I will go away from them. All of them are immoral, unfaithful. That's the word menoafim. That's the word for adulterous. But it means not only adulterous in the physical sense, it has many connotations here, but basically it's the unfaithfulness to God, the unfaithfulness to, uh, to tradition, and it's also the sexual immorality which was rampant. And it also was a statement that kulam menoafim, everybody, he doesn't mean everybody, but he means it was tolerated. It's accepted in society. It is not something that is considered reprehensible. It's taken for granted. It's allowed. And therefore, that's why it says, they are all adulterers, because the ones who tolerate it eventually are as guilty in society as the ones that participate. Because without the societal approval, it could not reach the levels that it did. Atzeres bogdim. Atzeres means a gathering, a group of people who are traitors, who are treacherous. So traitors means traitors to their spouses, uh, traitors to society, traitors again to the ideals, uh, ideas and ideals of the Jewish people. So this we discussed before, that they have trained their tongues, uh, to be like a bow that shoots arrows of lies. They have developed that, they, that that's accepted, a little like the uh, commercial society of the world that we live in of uh, false advertising and false representations. So we become immune to falsehood because we accept, we accept it and we expect it and it's part of us. And true people, true people, faithful people, they did not do well in this world, the Navi says. They're not popular. They're not strong. They're not the heroes. But those who are false, they are the ones who are heroes. I think one of the uh, statements regarding our society generally is the lack of true heroes. Most heroes in American society are uh, sports figures or other such people who uh, or uh, people who have made a great deal of money and not necessarily in a, uh, in a legitimate fashion, in a moral fashion. They're the heroes of society.
and uh, part of the undoing, for instance, of uh, the, uh, the, uh, the poor class in the United States and of the minorities, etc., is that their heroes are false heroes. They're not realistic. You have uh, 400 possible positions to be a ball player in the National Basketball Association and you have 10 million uh, children playing in the schoolyards for the 400 positions. It's not realistic. The, uh, the fact that righteous, honest, good people not only are not held in esteem, but they are ridiculed. Uh, they are held to be uh, wildly impractical people, people who have nothing to teach us. So that's what happened to the Jewish people also. For a long time in Jewish life, in the exile, the Jewish people, even though they may not have lived up to their ideals, but they all, their heroes were clear to them. In our time, that has again become blurred in a great section of the Jewish people. Who would we really like to be? So that's the idea here, Lola Amuno, Govruvarts. Kime Roa El Roa Yotsau. From one evil they stagger to the next evil. Uh, the uh, imagery here is of a drunk going from bar to bar. Once having embarked upon this road, so from one evil to the next evil they went. And the, uh, originally they could not have imagined themselves uh, at their final station. Couldn't imagine what they would look like at the end. But when you go from one evil to the next evil, so eventually you arrive at the final evil, the ultimate evil. The Osi Lo Yado Numashem. This we will see later at the conclusion of the uh, of the Novi's words that the Novi considers knowledge of what God says, of what God wants to be of, of primary importance. To know what God wants. And there are many people who uh, who are very far off the mark. And that's the idea that the Ramban says in Chumash that a person can be a novel virshus ha-Torah. A person can be observant, he can be within the parameters of Torah, and yet he is an obscene, obnoxious, evil person because he hasn't got any identification with what God really wants. Ishmerehu hishameru. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. No one can trust anyone. And no one can trust the brother. Because every brother is a cheater. Okov Yaakov cheats. It's expected. It's part of the... Again, the psyche of the relationship. It's part of the society. The Cholreya and every friend, Rochil Yahalov, walks around and spreads slander about you, attempts to undermine you, attempts to destroy you. 
Ve'ish bere'eyu yehoseilu. Each man, again, yehoseilu, he cheats. Yehoseilu means uh, he makes fun of the other person. He cheats him. Uh, he takes advantage of him. He exposes him as a fool, as naive. Ve'emes lo yedaberu. And they refuse to speak the truth. Lindu lishonam daber sheker. They again have trained their tongues to speak evil, to speak falsely. They have trained themselves. Ha'avei nilu. And they wanted to go crooked. They attempted. They worked hard at it. So again, the Novi here brings out the fact that many times in the effort and the uh, creativity and the sacrifice required to do something wrong is as great, if not greater, as it would be to do it right. But people want to do things wrong. Somehow they find that to be uh, much more satisfying. an incident not long, a number of years ago that uh, students stole uh, regents exams and passed them out etc so the effort that went into it if they would have sat down and studied for the two hours or three hours you didn't have to do that this took days of planning risks expenses everything but everybody felt that the investment was worth it. Whereas uh, to do it the straight way, so to speak, to spend the time and the effort and the creativity and study, so that uh, that's not acceptable. That's not that's not the way to do things. That's what that's what the Novi means. Ha ve nilu. They worked hard to obtain this level of perverseness. They worked hard to make it crooked. It was a, uh, a matter that required effort, and they followed through with it. So the, he describes that the Jewish people sank into a dishonest society because they sat amongst dishonesty for so long that they just simply, it's like you sit in, uh, in garbage, so after a while you smell. So they sat in a society that was so bad that that eventually they did, could not know me. They refused to know me because of their own trickeries, because of their own perverseness, because of, they trained themselves in that society. We see in our society also it's very hard to crawl out of a uh, of a situation that becomes that becomes your normalcy. There are a whole spate of uh, books and uh, movies and plays about people who are involved in the mafia or involved in crime generally, and they want to get away from it, and they can never get out because it has become so all-encompassing that there's no way to break the ties. That's the, really the Greek tragedy of life, is that we are bound by bonds that we have ourselves constructed. And we've ourselves done all of these things. 
So since they were willing to dwell in a society of iniquity, so therefore their iniquity caused them that they no longer know me. How can they have any relationship to me if they're determined to live in such a society? This uh, uh, strong and painful indictment of the Jewish people, of their behavior, uh, is reflected uh, in all the books of Musa and in all the works that we read throughout the exile of the Jewish people. That God... Uh, is far from us because we have moved so far from him. You don't, you can't expect to, uh, to find honesty in a dishonest society. You're looking in the wrong place. Therefore the Lord God says, I am going to take the Jewish people, Tzorfum, Sorfum is I'm going to refine them. I'm going to anneal them in the fire. The word soref is to burn off the dross. When you want to have pure silver, pure gold, to the extent that you can have it, uh, so you have to burn off the alloy. You have to burn off the, uh, the other metals that are contained therein. That's Tzorfam. I'm going to put them through the test of fire. Uvechantim, and they will be tested. A long test for the Jewish people, thousands of years. It's a, a difficult exam. What else can I do, God says. I don't have no choice. Well, how else can I do it? God, so to speak, appeals to the Jewish people. Tell me how else to do it. I tried it so many different ways. I tried it to be, to be good, I tried it with Nevi'im, I tried it with the Vedim. What else can I do? What gains your attention? We see that, uh, God forbid, but we see that troubles always gain the attention of people. So, that's what the Novi says in God's name. What else can I do regarding my people? How else can I treat them? Their tongue is a sharpened arrow. Their tongue can kill. You know the famous uh, expression that children say that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But we know that that is not true. We know that words are far more lethal than even sticks and stones. Great damage can be done in life by words. So the Novi says, their tongue has become a lethal arrow, an arrow that kills, shochet, that shechts, that kills, that slaughters. Mirmodiber. They speak only dishonest words. He speaks to his friend words of peace, good words, nice words. And in his heart he is planning the ambush that will destroy his friend. The rabbis always said that the heart of a person has to somehow be... Uh, in line with what he says. 
Rabbi say Rashi quotes it that one of the compliments regarding the brothers of Joseph, it says, They could not speak words of peace with him. So our rabbis say, even though that's a negative thing, there's a positive quality to it. They were not hypocritical. They hated him, so they didn't, they didn't tell him, uh, you're a great guy. And in their hearts did they hate him. Their mouth and their hearts were at least the same. So you knew where you stood. So uh, hypocrisy here of talking words of peace while preparing for war, of, of talking friendship and uh, planning the ambush, uh, that is, uh, that deceit is the ultimate immorality. So God says, on them, this is a rhetorical question, to a people like this, shall I not come and punish them? Shall I not demand an accounting for their behavior? In nafshi, a people, a nation such as this, shall not my soul find revenge for their behavior, for their attitudes? So again, the what makes all of this uh, stronger, uh, worse, uh, much more difficult is the fact that uh, God gave the Jewish people the Torah. And uh, God expects, and even today, he expects a higher standard of behavior from us. It's interesting that even in the world, the world also expects a higher standard of behavior from us. I mean, that's part of the uh, disproportionate double standard which is applied to the state of Israel. Uh, someone phrased it very well that the... Uh, the non-Jewish world expects the Jews to be the true Christians. But the world does expect it of us. The world does expect a higher standard. And we give them a higher standard. We are willing to do so. But we do live to a higher standard. But God, in his measurement of us, in his demands upon us, so then if we don't live up to it, so then uh, God's anger is kindled against the Jewish people. So the Novi, now the Novi uh, sees the Churban in front of his eyes. He sees uh, the terrible events. The prophet Yirmiyo uh, uh, in fact, he mentions it, uh, he says, Ani agever. I am the person that saw it. The other prophets, and, the, and that's the, the Medrash says here, the other prophets only predicted it, so they knew it was going to happen. But there's a great difference, my friends, in life, who know that something's going to happen and actually witness it. They actually have to live through it. And the Novi therefore says, I, more than any of the other prophets, I'm the unlucky one, because I am the one who saw it happen, who is the living witness to it. <laughs> Regarding the great mountains of Israel, the hills, I will now 
raised my voice in weeping. And in Nehi is moaning a song, an elegy, a song of, of weeping and of sadness. So this is the measure for measure to Mido Keneged Mido because on the hills and mountains of Israel is where the Jews worshipped Avodah Zarah. So the mountains were destroyed. The beauty was removed. Later at the time of the second temple, the mountain was actually lowered. It was physically lowered, removed from its exalted status. Valnaus Midbor Kino. And regarding the oases that existed in the desert, I will sit and mourn. Because the churban that the uh, enemies of Israel brought to the country is such that nothing is left. He describes it in terms of a great locust that consumes everything in front of it. So that nothing is left. Even the oases in the desert are destroyed. Little like uh, Kuwait looks. Right? Nothing is left. I mean, if you just think of the enormity of, uh, of the destruction. So the poor Emir will have to spend some $180 billion that he has stored all over the world, but that doesn't in any way mitigate the destruction that occurred. That's what the Novi describes here. The country, the oases, the mountains, the roads are forlorn. There is no traveler that passes. Nobody walks. Nobody goes anywhere. There's no travel. No longer is heard in the countryside the sounds of the cattle meaning the sounds of domestic agricultural life. It has all been quieted. The birds of heaven, the animals of the earth, have wandered away. Holochu have gone their own way. They are no longer here. They're no longer present. They're gone. So the, uh, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is that for hundreds, for well over a thousand years, the country was barren. There were no animals. There were no birds. There was nothing. Just stones, sand, emptiness. The Ramban says that that was part of God's plan, is that no one came to inhabit the country. All the Palestinians who are there now all came after the Jews. If you read Joan Peters' book from time immemorial, so she documents there how the entire uh, Arab immigration into Palestine is in the last hundred years. When the Jews developed the country. But the country was empty. No population. And when there are no human beings, there are no animals, nothing. A scene of ultimate desolation. So Jerusalem was mounds, you know, like tells, uh, archaeological digs, just mounds of rubble. Gal is like a, uh, 
a mound, a monument, a bunch of stones piled one on top of the other. Gal Aid. Ma'on Tanim. It became the home of jackals, of wild animals who live in the desert, who live where no one else lives. It's a uh, Tanim is a. Uh, we translate it as a jackal. It's a type of a desert dog. It's a wild creature that lives off of rodents. It's a uh, fierce predator, but it does not live anywhere where there's civilization. It lives in the wild. Ves ore Yehuda etain Shmoma and the cities of Judah that previously were so populous and now have become desolate, isolated, alone. Mibli Yoshev, with no one there, no one is present. Now the Novi moves to another topic. Famous Sukim here in the Novi. From here to the conclusion of the Aftorah are some of the most... Uh, well-known and famous and strongest psukim in all of Tanakh. I mentioned to you before, this Haftorah is enormously powerful. It's enormously sad. That's why they laid it all on on Tisha B'av. The Haftorah is so strong, we don't read Eicha in the morning. This Haftorah sums up everything there is to say in the Book of Lamentations. It's almost as though if we had this Haftorah plus Eicha, that would be too much to bear. Where can you find the wise man that understands what's happening here? J.M. in the A.M. My thanks to Rabbi Beryl Wine. Today, um, <coughs> we've taken advantage of his knowledge on this Tisha B'Av morning to hear his presentation regarding the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av, the Haftorah that we read, that we read today, that we read during Shacharis. There are, of course, two Haftorahs today, the one at Mincha's for the traditional fast day, public fast day, uh, but a special one, quote-unquote, from Yermio, was read this morning, and we've spent the last 90 minutes hearing from Rabbi Wine about the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av. My thanks in advance to Rabbi Goldwasser. Uh, you all know that we don't greet each other on um, uh, Tisha B'Av, so there'll be no formal introduction, of course, of Rabbi Goldwasser, but he, again, is partnering with me to present Kinnis this morning. He's on a very tight schedule for obvious reasons, so we're going to start uh, right now and to do as much as we can for a comprehensive Kinnis service, which will include uh, six Kinnos and then the traditional Elitzion uh, which is recited as the final part of uh, Kinnis this morning, as we uh, always do. And I thank everybody who's listening in. It's it's heartwarming. We take the time to do this, uh, and we are here instead of in shul to do this. And um, it is amazing it, already this year, like every year, how I've heard from listeners how much they appreciate the fact that we are here uh, during a work day for many people, during a very busy day for people who have to get to work on time. They don't have the wherewithal the luxury of being late for work today and they're able to take advantage of listening to the kinna service either live now or at some point later on today we will begin 
with Kinna 6, Shavas Suru. Traditionally, I will read a portion of the beginning and the end of each Kinna that we designate. And, um, and then we will turn to uh, Rabbi Goldwasser once I've concluded the uh, Kinna, who will um, uh, brief us on that specific Kinna that we've just read and will give us thoughts on this Tisha B'Av morning. And then, of course, we will continue with the next one. Kinna number six. Shavas suru meni shimuni ovrai, schiuma oz hesimuni bedre chavirai, sakosa mishkan miskos dvirai, sakosa vuhuvla gugiborai, safkucha fumuadu evarai, kisila cholabirai, nafla odenu bitzuld chuya, eni chikisa lachazon ben berechia. Ad pile gilgol chavuya, eni mioleles bivarnis nichuya, asavanicham vaikra livchia, binam ale le ane evochia, ashivea nu asisi, ashimaligoite oni, shivetam remos chatserai lahad kie heni, sifse misho redvir damamu lahadi veni. Shamatas moros afechin litateni, Shachvu venadu chotzot lahavrieni, Shamu kinenacho oni, Kitama chakta becheso fanecha, Tashivlahem gemol kios chazos ponecha, Tirdofu tzalmon yoate altfunecha, Titain lahavhev no sitze peninecha, Dikrala shakaram, the coast comes befinecha. Tavo horasam, the fonecha. Tavo altsar, a sheriki lanu. Limavo, hamos, behemani halanu. Adlachaloch, the chavor higlanu. Zakain, uvahur, sulaki valahanu. Ramhabetna, a mehakulanu. Zahor adunai, meha yalanu. Rabbi Goldwasser. In the first of our kinnas this morning, Shavasuru, that really everything came to a halt. And the interesting idea that's expressed in this kinna by the Belezer HaKalir, the great Paitan, he was a great poet. He has uh, some of the most beautiful uh, poets, verse, and prose that a person could ever read. The Belezer HaKalir writes here that it's not as people thought. When the base of Nikdish is going to be destroyed and B'nai Yisrael will go into Golos, will go into exile, then we will continue on a different level. Uh, we're going to be able to just continue doing business. Maybe it's going to be a little bit different. Rebbe Loza Kalir says right from the beginning, Shavasuru, get that out of your mind. Shavasuru means that everybody came to a standstill. We actually did not know how do we continue without a Beit HaMikdash. How do we go on further? How do we live without that life-giving source? So it was at that time that people did not know how do we go on. And it affected every single facet of our life, the way that we walked, the way that we centered our life around the Beit HaMikdash, the fact that there was going to be a much different um, situation of our community, 
that we're going to be subservient, that we were sent into Babylonia, that we were now enslaved, that we walked away in chains. Uh, fascinating idea is in the Echa, last night, we said that the tears are still on the cheeks of the people. And one of them, the Farshim, explained one of the commentaries that the reason the tears are on the cheeks is our hands were bound behind us. So when we were crying, we weren't able to wipe away our tears. That is how much our entire life came to a standstill. We no longer knew how to operate. Because of this, we see that there is some confusion on Tisha B'Av itself. We are brought to a standstill. We're not supposed to be engaged in regular business. We know that all the regular things that we do, eating and drinking and anointing, all those things are to a minimal. Even when we greet each other in the morning, it's not the same way. Some say if we have a mazel tov to wish each other, we should wait until after chatzot, at least until after midday. We try to echo on Tisha B'Av that we also come to a standstill, that we take out a day, we mourn over the Beit HaMikdash, we mourn over the destruction of Yerushalayim, we realize that each and every day, if I don't raise Yerushalayim, on the head, on the greatest of all of my celebrations in life, I remember Yerushalayim. We know that we take one day a year at least, and we have that day as a remembrance that everything came to a standstill. Uh, interesting that when Yermio, who didn't realize yet that the base of Mikdush was being destroyed, he came close to the city. He saw that there was a pillar of smoke, and he understood what was going to happen. He told B'nai Yisrael about the impending Chorb. However, unfortunately, People did not, as they say today, they didn't realize what was going on. And there, in the Talmud, we read about Tor Malka. Tor Malka was a huge, huge place. Half of Tor Malka understood the Chorban. Half of it came to the standstill, like we read in our Kinnah. The other half, they were singing and dancing. And so, on our Tisha B'Av, we're very careful. We know that we don't sing and dance on a day of international mourning. We know that on this day that we take it to heart, and that in itself is a great zechut for us. It is a, it's a privilege, it's a merit, it is something that will be considered the entire year. I saw uh, an interesting, apart from Rav Nachman of Breslau from Lukutim Maran, he says there are some people that, they got difficulty in crying. Every once in a while, a person will come into me and they'll be upset and they'll say, you know, Rabbi, I, I never cry. I never cry. I just, I can't cry. Rav Nachman says, what happens if a person can't cry? So he says something fascinating. They should think about the destruction of the base of Mikdash. They should think about Yerushalayim. That's the source of all tears. And then they're going to be able to cry. I believe that when we cry on Tisha B'Av, when we feel bad, when Avnachim will make a international gathering like this morning throughout the world, that people can listen to Kinnos and that people can be involved in different 
matters and shurim and lectures on Tishabov, there isn't any greater zechus. There's not any greater community service than that because it unites us in what we should be thinking about. I just uh, want to say that I, I got one time a very strange question from a man who knocked on my door, and the man was sitting shiva. He was uh, in the week of mourning for his father. And I thought for sure he was going to ask me about the loss of mourning or something that happened during that week in business that he's allowed to respond. However, this young man asked me something completely different. He said he's feeling down. It's understandable. He felt that he needed something to cheer him up. He told me that that night there was a party, and he was invited to the party. He would like to know if I think halakhically he could go to the party in order to help him feel a little bit better. You can't ever tell when a person comes to ask you a Shela question of Jewish law. You can't tell. You can't tell his feelings. However, in this time, I had to give him what the law is and that it's not a time for parties. It's not a time for trying to lift our spirits in that way. Other ways we could do it. And I told him. He thanked me and he left. A half a year later, he came back, the same person. I hadn't seen him till then. And he had a question about his tefillin. And he asked me and I answered him. He said, you know, uh, uh, Rabbi, I have to be honest with you. Uh, when you told me about the party, I wanted to listen. I really did want to listen, but I couldn't, and I went anyhow. You have no idea how it messed me up. I didn't ask him any questions, but I thought to myself, for all of us, Tishabov, it's a day with a lot of restrictions. It's a day that is pretty sad just listening to Nahum say the kinnis and the explanations. It's it really is not not a happy uh, time, but I do feel that when we go through the service of Tisha B'av and we do the mourning like we should, and we understand all of the things that are missing in our life, that Shavasuru, that life did come to a standstill, it's not the same anymore. That it'll be a zuchus, it will be a merit for us that in the future we're going to celebrate together that we're going to have great, great simcha. And when it comes time, I always say to Mashiach in the future, when it comes time for everybody to gather, what greater spokesman will there be to announce the coming other than our morning program, other than the network? It should only be quickly in our days. Amen. We continue with Kinna number 11. We will read the... Uh first two and last two sections of this kinda before Rabbi Goldwasser addresses us. Vayikonein yirmiyo al Yoshiyahu Eicho eli konenu me'elov Ben shmone shana heichel idrosh me'elohov Ben eichom b'avram chanu alav Velo huzkar lo sigoi mifalov Gam b'chom alchei Yisrael asher kamu ligdar Lo kam kamohu mimos avigidar Amen. 
Sisinov, Kikinezam, Le Shalem, Shonom, Bavon Bitsom, Tam Kesem Hatov, Amzubifosham, Vayakonain, Olov, Kolecho, Yuom, Tom Mikrechod, Kos Migidolishtos, Bumwech Nas, Hashmita, Kigo Hakeliosos, Talabias Jimushtaya, Meharoshosos, Kisafadu Loecho, Bias Jimushtaya, Mosios. Osos kinos lubata mucholi, eis kishachachti mucholi, zamosi kiload ya ahili, roshati vinosati, vinutash oholi. We have a hesped, a eulogy of sorts in this kinna. Yoshio Melech, he was one of the great kings. When he died, it was a great sorrow. In fact, we say that when a great person passes on, it's Kistrefa's Besa Lokeno. It's like the destruction of the Besa Mikdosh itself. When Yoshio was only eight years old, his father Amon died. And it's interesting that his father and his grandfather were Rishoyim, they were evil, they were those that sinned, and they caused many other people to sin. In particular, the sin of Avodah Zarah, or idol worship. When Yoshio was 18 years old, he took over the kingdom. The young man Yoshio understood that there was something greater, greater in this world, and he began to look for Hashem. Just like Abraham Avinu, was born into a house of Avodah Zarah, but he looked for Hashem. He wanted to know the true Hashem. He did Tshuva Shalema. Yoshua repented completely, and he wanted to help Klal Yisrael. So he went all over Eretz Yisrael, all over the land, in order to bring people back, to bring them closer to Hashem. When he was 31 years old, he actually went from house to house, to clean out the Avodazar that people had. He went all over and made a clean sweep so that the Yisrael should come back to their father in heaven. It happened to be that one day, Yoshio got a letter from the king, the king of Egypt, and he asked a favor. He asked that he would like to go through Eretz Yisrael because he had a certain enemy in the north of Eretz Yisrael, and he wanted permission for his armies to pass through. However, Yoshio was misinformed. We have a pasuk, we have one of the verses in Vayikra, in Leviticus, and it says, I will give shalom ba'aretz, no one passes through, a sword cannot pass through. He didn't realize that it did not mean for this time that Paro, the king of Egypt, could not pass through with a peaceful time. He was not looking at that moment to start up with B'nai Yisrael. And so he refused. When he refused, unfortunately, that was his downfall. And because of that, eventually, it led to his death. Yoshio was one of the greatest that we had. Look what he did. Look what he did for B'nai Yisrael. Look what he did to get rid of all of the idol worship. However, because of that, he had to be taken out from this world. Yermio delivers a special hesped 
a special eulogy talking about the greatness of Yoshio, the greatness of a leader that was able to go against the tide, that was able to clear up that which was not just, not moral, not ethical, did not worry about anyone. Because of that, there was a tremendous level that Yoshio had reached that merits having a special kin that we read every year. Lokom Kumo, we say in the kina, Mimosa Vigador, that nobody ever stood up like him. No one arose of his great exalted personage from the days of Avigdor, which of course is one of the names of Moshe Rabbeinu, of the great Moshe, the leader. We ask, why is the name Avigdor used in this kina? The reason, of course, is because Avigdor means that he mended the breaches. He okay. took care of that in Klal Yisrael that were things that needed to be fixed and needed rectification. And so too, Yoshio, when he completely destroyed the Avodazara, he completely destroyed the idol worship. It was like Moshe Rabbeinu, who came and fought against the Egel Azov, the golden calf. There are two things that this great kina helps us. One, a hesped is a description of the person that we lost. We have to know who can we look up to? Who do we try to emulate? Who do we want as our great stars, as the people who are our, for lack of a better word, our superstars? It's someone like Yoshio. Secondly, it's a description of how sad it is to be without him. The Chassam Sofer says, what is a hesped? What is eulogy? And he says, just jumble the letters. Turn them around. From the word hesped, you get hesped. You know what it is for us, the loss, to be without the individual. Uh, just one very interesting idea. Uh, in dealing with this uh, particular kinna, we understand that not only are we missing the physical structure of the Besamikdash, but we're also missing the greatness of the individuals that had lived at that time. We're also missing the level of uh, service of Avoda, of Kohanim and Levim, and Levim that did a very, very special job in Klau Yisrael. All these things are missing. And the Chafetz Chaim used to say that it's important that the Levim, they know their laws, and that the Kohanim, they know their laws. And at any moment when the third base of Mikdash is going to be built, we look forward to seeing them once again. We know that the Kohanim, when they prepare to bless us for Berchus Kohanim, we know that there are certain things that they can get into this world, says in uh, the Svarim, in Derech Mitzvah and others, that we can't get for ourselves. So we pay homage to the fact that there are those that are actually involved in the real daily avoda of the Beis HaMikdash, the daily service. And that is something that is special for us to know. It's going to happen once again. And the Levim and the Kohanim, they guard themselves during this time. 
they continue to do their service, maybe it's on a much smaller level, but still it's significant that in the future, Hashem Kohanim, Avodosam, Levim, Meshiram, Avazimram, that they're going to be reinstated. And we look forward, especially on the day of Tisha B'Av, sad as it is, we look forward with an eye towards the future for the time that they're going to be reinstated. We continue with our Kinnah service with Kinnah number 13, the first and last sections of Eiko. Eiko Omer Kares Le'ov Befetzach Bivris Ben Absarim Eko Yeh Lanetzach Behinato Bulu'u Atzomai Beretzach Lama Elohim Zonach Dolanetzach Eiko Gash Kesel Yolol Ratzosecha Nelachad Ko Pitu Beidosecha Vainator <laughs> In the Eko, we ask what happened to the power of Ko, Chose. And it's interesting that Chose, if you'll ask anybody, what does that remind you of? They'll say, of course, Chose. Kislev, the 25th of Kislev, or Chanukah, because Chanukah is the secret of our power, of B'nai Yisrael, of the Jewish people. It's the secret of Nisir Asnafesh, of self-sacrifice. We learned that when we got the Torah, Hashem said, I'm not giving it to you because you're the smartest. I'm not giving it to you because you're the strongest. It may or may not be. I'm not giving it to you for any of the reasons that you might think. The only reason I'm giving it to you for is because I know you're going to have Nesir Nefesh. You're going to have self-sacrifice for my Torah. We say, what happened to all of that? What happened to that power? What happened when we used to be somewhat protected and that things didn't happen haphazardly, like it seems as though sometimes today in our world, we can't explain certain things that go on. Certain great tzaddikim, Nashim Tzidkaniyos, that are removed from our midst. What happened to all of that, that bracha that we had? What happened two weeks ago in Eretz Yisrael to a wonderful, upstanding family in the middle of this Shabbat Suda? What happened to them? What's going on? So this is what we do when we come to Tisha B'Av, we realize that things are not as they should be at all. Things have been greatly, greatly reduced in terms of our Shmira, Chas and that we ourselves have to understand that the Beis HaMikdash was protection, that all the life, when the Beis HaMikdash was here, when we had the, the times we were not living in the exile, we're living in times of redemption. There's a much different stature 
of the Jew at that time, and we look forward to it. So Eiko begins us thinking, yes, it's nice. There are many good things that happen in our life, and it should be for all people all over the world. But with that, i got to always keep in my mind, Eiko, where is that power? Where is the charmed life, the life of a redeemed person, the life of the Geula? The reason that we don't realize it is because we're kind of, we're kind of brought up in, in Golos. Just like you have a little child and they're brought up in prison in, an, in a penal institution. So the child gets what it needs. child gets clothing, gets food, gets a bed, maybe gets a little bit uh, internet once in a while. child doesn't realize there's anything. But if one day you'd be on the outside world, and see, so you could eat what you want. You could wear what you want. You go to sleep when you want. You could have anything in the world. So then the child would never be happy going back into the life in Golos. Eko says, continue to think about it. What happened to all of the things that we used to be able to enjoy? And when we start to dwell and we start to think about it on Tishabot, then we start to thirst for it. There isn't anything greater than a person that thirsts for the Geula, a person that thirsts for redemption. At the end of 120 years, every person is asked one question among a few, and that one is, Sipisa, the Yeshua. Did you wait for Yeshua? Did you wait for the salvation? <laughs> Did you say, wait a minute, I got a pretty good Golos, I got uh, plans now for Shabbos Nachmu, everything's taken care of, uh, no worries. Or do we say, no, I'm waiting for the Gula. I need a different existence. I need Eretz Yisrael secure and protected. I need everybody living together. I need a base of Mikdash. If a person says that, then it's much different. Just in conclusion on this, uh, the Chobot Chaim one time delayed Kabbalah Shabbos. It was Friday night. It was time to inaugurate the Shabbos, start the Daven, and he delayed it. And they didn't know why he's delaying it. But if Chavetz Chaim says, wait, you wait. Finally, the Rosh Hashiva that was there gently walks over to the Chavetz Chaim and says to him, he's not coming. He, he, he's not going to come anymore today. The Chavetz Chaim looked at him. He said, oh, okay, then we should begin Kabbalah Shabbos. It was explained that the Chavetz Chaim knew that the Mashiach cannot come on Shabbos. So he delayed starting the Shabbos. There were a few minutes left, and he thought he still might come. He was hopeful when he realized already that it was too late, the Mashiach was not coming. Then he said, okay, you could be in Kabbalah Shabbos. Our lives should be in that way, that we wait for the Gula, that we wait for all people to be healed, that we wait for there to be world peace. We wait for everyone to do tshuva and to come closer to Hashem. And all the children that have gone away, that they come back. All the kids that were turned off, that they find their way back. and They reunite with their mothers and fathers. And the fathers and mothers wait for the children. And all the people that have gone off in various ways that they're able to come back. 
and that everybody is healed and that everyone needs a refuah, will have it. We're waiting for those days, for the better days ahead. That's why what Hashem says, Sittisuli Yeshua, did you wait for the salvation? Did you wait for redemption? Every person has got the answer at that time. I waited. I waited with bated breath. We continue with our Kinnis service under the inspirational leadership of Rabbi David Goldwasser at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on our amazing NSN app. We continue with Kinna 17, the first and final sections of Im Tochalna Alalaili. Im Tochalna Nashim Piryam Alei Tibuchim Alalaili. Im Tvashelna Nashim Rachmanios Yiladim Hamadudim Tvachim Tvachim Alalaili. Im Tigozna Piyas Rosham Visikshar Nalisusim Porchim Alalaili. Baracha Kodesh, the Mulam Marim, Hoy Al Kosh, Reinai Haraim, Masha Hikra, Modim, Esasher Asula, Modim, Imtochalno, Noshim, Piryam, Mashmim, Vim Hiorek, Vimikdash, Adonai, Kohem, Navi, Lo, Mashmim. In this kina, sad, upsetting kina, we read in the lead. If women who were so merciful and had the aspect, the feminine aspect of mercy and compassion were forced at that time to the level of depravity that they ate their own children, it's a very difficult thing for us to incorporate in today's times, how the world could be changed so much that you have a merciful person that actually seems to be that they turn cruel. We're not able to understand it, and we can't ever judge another person because it is impossible. A person can only say, I don't understand the other individual. Don't ever judge your friend until you're standing exactly in their shoes, and you never know. You never know exactly where they're at. Here, we find that they did something bad. They did something that to us is its a horror. It is so horrific that we can't even think about it. I was looking at this twice in the Echa last night, and I have to tell you, I could not get it out of my mind the entire night. Yet, we see that when we talk about the sins that were committed by those at the time of the Chorban, it says at the same time that the sins were inadvertent. They were not really willing sins. They were not sins that were deliberate. The great Gon Rav Chaim Kanievsky Shlita asked the question, how could it be? (laughs) 
We know that they did do sins. We know that they knew what they were doing. How could it say that it was unintentional? It wasn't on the level of a deliberate sin. Says the great Rukhayim, because in those days, they still did chesed for each other. They still were good for each other. They helped each other. And in fact, he says something that is mind-boggling. He says, although that they ate from the children, they shared the meal. They shared what they had with others. As hard as that is for us to understand and to wrap our heads around, we still know that there was a level of, of chesed. He said, because of that, the entire level, the entire level of culpability for the sins that we did was taken down a tear. Imagine that a person does a chesed and they care about others. Even if they've sinned, it somehow makes the sin a little bit less severe. In today's world, and especially through the network and Jewish moments, we all feel each other. We all can understand each other's upset, each other's simcha. The announcements that have come over the years and will continue till Mashiach will come over the network is something amazing. Because usually I'll think, okay, I have my community. I go to the to, to pray in the morning. I go to Dublin, so I'm united with 50 people. Good. Or I know I'm in the city, or I live with a thousand people or ten thousand people. But when I'm part of the program, I realize that I'm together with millions. I realize that at that time, and I'll never forget it, when Nachum went to Paris especially after what the community had suffered through and gave him the chizuk. And we were all united, and we all went and saw what was going on, and we were able to listen in and view the amazing concert that happened. That's what Hashem wants from us. Do chesed, care about the next. Feel their pain, feel their joy. That is what we learned from this. In Duchan and Moshin, that's true. They did do that. They did do something that was uh, horrific. But on the other hand, there was chesed. And as long as there's still chesed, as long as there's loving kindness, we will never, ever be considered as though we are intentional sinners that are out to do bad in this world. We continue with Kenna 21. Arze halavanon adirea Torah. Kinefogoral <laughs> Biskilos Rafa Herag Vichenek Miuchalashara, Noseris Meneo Halu, Irao Sebzura, 
Chazayat Nufa Vesho Kachuma Torfu Aryeva Hakfira Eti Vadonoi Vloyosi Vodli Asara Amates Virakayim Koshlos Chelek Yaakov Moshe Abiyei Sara Betzedek Imloch Melech Yomar Shalmu Yimei Avleich Liora Onisa Vinelech Isaiah Vanon are the great cedars of Lebanon. We go through the Asar Haruge Malchus, the great ten martyrs. It's pointed out that we read about the martyrs, and it is somewhat of a hesped, it is somewhat of a eulogy. Just remembering that there were such great people that lived in this world that showed us by example of what a life completely dedicated to Hashem and to His Torah is all about. We have the Arze Avanon perhaps at the saddest day of our Jewish calendar. It's a day when everybody is involved in mourning. It's a day when everyone can relate to whatever sorrow, God forbid, is going on. We relate it to the destruction of the base of Mikdash. And with that, we come to a very clear understanding that it's those leaders that are able to give us the chizot that we need, the inspiration that we need. Even at the time of their death, they were able to provide us with an example of what true heroism is, of what self-sacrifice is. And it's because that we learn each one and what they did and how the even the lowest of the low, the one who was the executioner, if I'm going to jump in the fire with you, can I have Olam Haba? Will I be rewarded with heaven? Now, for us to understand that, how could it be that an executioner, a cruel-blooded, cold-blooded person that kills people for a living, does it like another individual would go and make a bank deposit? and these people are killing, and all of a sudden, he's the one that's moved to ask if I'll jump in the fire together. Will I have all of my book? We'd have to say that if a person will listen to the examples that we see around, if a person will be able to take from the greatness that we have in Klal Yisrael, I think that we can change ourselves. If the executioner could do it, so certainly we who are compassionate and thinking, we can also do it. And that goes for all modern-day examples that we have of people in the community that are self-sacrificing for us, of the individual that helps in the shul, of the person that serves on the Hever Kedisha, of the Hatzola member, of the person that serves on Haverim, of the individual that helps out with Misaskim, of the person that is careful to gather money for tzedakah, or makes the weddings for poor people. The individual that sees to it that they go and take the extra step in order to help our Klai Yisrael, they're also our Zehavanon. It comes during this time that we realize that we've got to take a moment and think about the great people who affect and who interface with us in this world. When we do that, so we begin to understand Two things. Number one, we have a great zechus that they live here, that they shield over us. It happened to be that in the old country, 
there were quite a few Din Tyrus or actual court cases because there were two cities that were fighting when a great Sadiq or a Tzadikus would pass on. They would want them to be buried in their cemetery, in their land, in their city. And it would sometimes be a court case. Both cities would present their tainas, their arguments, why the tzaddik should be buried with them. In fact, the Hassan Sofer heard a famous din Torah, a famous court case about this. Why? Because they realized the protection that a great personage affords. They realized that it's a power to shield over the land. We pray for the Chachme Yisrael. We pray for all the leaders. They should be healthy and strong. They should have the great knowledge, and they should have the strength to be able to lead with greatness, with fortitude, with great conviction, because we know that our leaders and our generation is in great need, great need of having the direction, especially in our days, with all the challenges that come up, any effort that can be made to help and to inspire has to be supported in a great way. And I want to say there's no greater inspiration that we have that during the day and especially in the morning, the Jewish moments, we can turn it on. In our Golos, with everything that we're going on today that we're going through with the challenges, the fact that there is a safe haven, that there is a bastion of faith, the fact that there's a beacon of light that comes through every morning, it's amazing. We've got to support it. That's also our Zehavanon. That's also a great cedar that has been here for decades and will continue until Mashiach comes. It's a cedar, and we look forward to it. And we also look forward to the leadership that the program provides. And we see all the good that it does. Zehavanon, how we look and we want to have the inspiration. We want to continue to go on until Mashiach is coming. I can't thank Rabbi Goldwasser enough, especially for those wonderful brachos. And I thank him for allowing us to monopolize his time on a very, very tight schedule this morning. We will conclude our kinnis with uh, with um, two traditional tunes for Tisha B'Av. First, Kinna 31. Uh, and then after our final kinna, I will ask Rabbi Goldwasser for his final words for us this morning as I thank him on this Tishabov and pray this be the final time that we have to gather for such a purpose. 31. I Eliel 
Kinnah 45. Al bal niu reho, ale yarmon asher nutash. Yashmasa nadoreho, yalbiyas mechorfeel besoch mikdash hadoreho. Elitio niyoreho, yamaho isha vetsireho, chivesuloch agurasak al bal niu reho. Alekolos mechorefeho, Yes Rabu Figoreho, Yalrik Shas Migad Feho, Besoch Mishkan Hatsei Reho, Litio Riareho, Moisha Vetsireho, Hivesuloch Agurasa, Kahobal Niureho, Leshimacho Asher Hulon. Befikame Mitsireho, Yaltahan Yitzafe Huloch. Shovushma moreho, Elitzion viorreho, Yamaho ishovitzireho, Hivasuloch agurasa, Gahabal niureho. Elitzion, the high point of the Kenneth, in which we talk about Claudius Royal that cries like a woman that is suffering from the pains of birth. It is perhaps one of the saddest of all the kinos. It's the one that the nigun, the melody itself, is haunting. We realize when it comes to Elitzion that it's talking about all the tzoros, all of the challenges and all the times of challenge throughout Jewish history. It is a time when we look forward and we fully realize that although we are going to end the kinnah portion of Tishabov with this kinnah, we realize that it continues. And throughout the entire year, we're always going to continue and remember the Beis Amikdash. We're going to speak about it three times a day. We're going to every once in a while wake up, maybe at Chatzos, maybe midnight, and shed a tear for the Beis Amikdash. Under the chuppah, we're going to sing, and we're going to remember him with and the chuppah will have a little bit of ash on his head, and we'll remember, we'll break the glass, and we'll remember that no simch is complete until we'll have the Beis HaMikdash back. Yerushalayim will be complete. It's something that we all know that we look forward to in the future. And when we cry during the very last kinna for Tishabov, we all understand that there are Ramadan, that there are hints talking about the future greatness, even at the saddest time of life. It's interesting that on Tishabov, even though it seems to be that which day could be worse, but yet we have tradition that Mashiach was born on Tishabov. We have a tradition that great things will also happen even on Tisha B'Av itself. The great 
Rabbi Yochanan of Stalin would say when he came to Elitzion, where we're at right now, he said, when I recite this kinna, I become flooded with memories. I saw also a korban. I saw destruction. When Jews went with their talus and their kittel straight into the fire, when mothers and children were nereg al Hashem to sanctify Hashem's name, I saw the horrors. I'm reminded of this. I'm reminded of something I simply can't say over. Oy va'avoy. Woe is to me what I have seen. We bless all of Klal Yisrael that the future in all the sights of all the children, the sights of every single person living, should only be good sights. Show us Hashem, the building, the rebuilding of Yushalayim of the Beis Amikdash, the Samchenu Sikuno, and may we all rejoice together Bimhera, bimhera, quickly in our days. Amen. Rabbi Goldwasser, I have so much to thank you for, but this morning all I will say is one big thank you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, inspiring us this morning. And an, and, and an easy and meaningful fast to you and everybody who's listening. Amen. Amen. I thank Rabbi Goldwasser. <laughs> I can't even uh, begin to sum up how incredible a Tishabov services has been. It's short, it's comprehensive compared to what happens in synagogues, but I know so many people around the world appreciate it, and I'm proud to be part of it, proud to have Ray Goldwasser as a partner in it, and we are proud to present it. Tishabov morning here at JM in the AM. We will continue with her by Beryl Wine's analysis of the um, Haftorah for Tishabov, Asof Asifem. And then I'll come in with my final words before 9 a.m. Eastern Time this morning here at JM in the AM. In the desert, I will sit and mourn because the churban that the uh, enemies of Israel brought to the country is such that nothing is left. He describes it in terms of a great locust that consumes everything in front of it so that nothing is left. Even the oases in the desert are destroyed. A little like uh, Kuwait looks. Right? Nothing is left. I mean, if you just think of the enormity of, uh, of the destruction. So the poor Emmer will have to spend some $180 billion that he has stored all over the world, but that doesn't in any way mitigate the destruction that occurred. That's what the Novi describes here. Ki ish over. The country, the oases, the mountains, the roads are forlorn. Mibli ish over. There is no traveler that passes. Nobody walks. Nobody goes anywhere. There's no travel. Veloshomu kol no longer is heard. In the countryside, the sounds of the cattle, meaning the sounds of domestic agricultural life, it has all been quieted. The birds of heaven, the animals of the earth, 
Nodadu have wandered away, Halachu have gone their own way, they are no longer here. They're no longer present. They're gone. So the, uh, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is that for hundreds, for well over a thousand years, the country was barren. There were no animals, there were no birds, there was nothing. Just stones, sand, emptiness. The Ramban says that that was part of God's plan, is that no one came to inhabit the country. All the Palestinians who are there now all came after the Jews. If you read Joan Peters' book from time immemorial, so she documents there how the entire uh, Arab immigration into Palestine is in the last hundred years. When the Jews developed the country. But the country was empty. No population. And when there are no human beings, there are no animals, nothing. A scene of ultimate desolation. So Jerusalem was mounds, you know, like tells, uh, archaeological digs, just mounds of rubble. Gal is like a, uh, a mound, a monument, a bunch of stones piled one on top of the other, Gal aid. Ma'on Tanim, it became the home of jackals, of wild animals who live in the desert, who live where no one else lives. It's a, uh, Tanim is a, uh, we translate it as a jackal, it's a type of a desert dog. It's a wild creature that lives off of rodents. It's a uh, fierce predator but it does not live anywhere where there's civilization. It lives in the wild. Ves ore Yehuda etein Shmoma and the cities of Judah that previously were so populous and now have become desolate, isolated, alone. Nibli Yoshev, with no one there, no one that's present. Now the Novi moves to another topic. Famous Sukim here in the Novi. I'm here to the conclusion of the Aftorah are some of the most uh, well-known and famous and strongest Sukim in all of Tanakh. I mentioned to you before this Aftorah is enormously powerful. It's enormously sad. That's why they laid it all on on Tisha B'av. The Aftorah is so strong we don't read Eicha in the morning. This Haftorah sums up everything there is to say in the Book of Lamentations. It's almost as though if we had this Haftorah plus Eicha, that would be too much to bear. Where can you find the wise man that understands what's happening here? Who knows what happened here? So we could say that today. We could say that regarding the events of our time. Who is the wise man that can tell us, that can explain the Holocaust to us, who can explain 
uh, the state of Israel who can explain all of the struggles, all of the wars, all of the pain, all of the blood, all of the sacrifice. Who could explain it? Who is the wise man who understands? And who is the man to whom God has spoken in explanation? The Agido, and he's now going to tell us what happened here. Who is that person? So this is based, the Medrash bases it that neither the wise men nor the prophets of Israel could explain the enormity of the disaster that befell the Jewish people. It's literally the uh, story of our time, too. All of the reasons uh, that are advanced by many uh, for the Holocaust and for everything else that happened to the Jewish people all fall hollow. They don't... It's hard for us to justify, no matter what our sins were, a uh, punishment of that magnitude, of that enormity. A million and a half children under the age of 12, all of the unspeakable things that happened. How, how did it happen? So the Novi himself has no answer. Are more of the Oretz. Why was is the land of Israel destroyed? Nitzisa Kamidbor, why was it burned, parched, like a desert. over that it has no inhabitants, that no one lives there, no one visits there. Why did this happen? So the Gemara says no one could answer that. So God came and answered it. And but God answers it in a way that's not understandable to us. To God, it's an answer to us. We find it hard to understand it. Vayomer Hashem, God said, Al ozvom es torosi asher nosati lifneim. Because they have forsaken the Torah that I placed before them. That's the root cause of all of these troubles. Because they no longer wanted to live a Torah life. They were no longer loyal to it. They did not hearken to my voice, to all of the prophets that I sent. And they did not want to go in the path of righteousness, in the road of the Torah. They did not want to follow its lifestyle, its value system. Instead, they wanted to go according to the wildness of their hearts. Whatever their heart wanted, they wanted to have. It's like uh, someone who is uncontrolled. He wants this, he wants that, he, wants, he doesn't know what he wants. He just wants to be wild. And they went after the idols. Asher limdu mavosam. That their forefathers had trained them already. The, this isn't just this generation, but that this was part of their heritage, so to speak. So the Mephoshim say here a number of great ideas. Number one, 
that they went after the idols not because they believed in the idols. They went after the idols because they wanted to go after what their hearts wanted. So they needed a philosophy that allowed them to be immoral. A great deal of, uh, of uh, the Western world today uh, follows in that. They want to be immoral. They want to do whatever they want. So therefore, they invent the philosophy that justifies it. They say it's unhealthy to be inhibited. Other such, uh, it's the, what drives uh, much of the uh, psychological explanations of man and justifications of man in the 20th century is the fact that man does not want to be bound to any moral system. Man does not want to be disciplined. The Talmud tells us that uh, this, the uh, Gemara and Gitten tells us that uh, the great Rabbi Yeshua Reb Hananya came to Rome, to one of the great cities in the Roman Empire, uh, where he heard a Jewish child was imprisoned, and he stood at the gate of the prison, he stood by the window, and he said the first half here, Almor of the Oretz, why was the land destroyed? And the child answered from inside the prison, uh, because they forsook the Torah. So the Tana of Yeshua said, if there's such a child that he understands that, then I will redeem him no matter what the price is. He, uh, he paid an enormous price to ransom him, to redeem him, and the child became a great Talmud Chochem, the great Rabbi Shmuel. Uh, was that child who was in prison. But again, the, the question that he asked is why? Which is the most difficult question to answer. Why was the land destroyed? So people say, uh, well, you know, it was destroyed. It was political. They didn't have a strong enough army. It was uh, economically not viable, etc. None of those excuses are true. The country is destroyed because of its lack of moral fiber, because of the fact that it did not follow the Torah. We find the same uh, reasoning in the Talmud always. The Talmud asks whenever they saw an older person, they said, How come you lived so long? So nowhere in the Talmud is the answer given that I exercised, or I took good care of myself, or I went to sleep early at night. The answer is always found in a moral thing. I did this good deed. All my life I devoted myself to this task. Because our rabbis always ask the question deeper than what looks on the surface. It's not enough just to exercise. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to exercise. But that's not, that, that's not the full answer. That doesn't say the reason. So here also... It doesn't say that the reason for the destruction of the Jewish state in the time of Yirmiyo and later in the time of the Second Temple was because of the fact that the empires were stronger than they were. And because this Jewish state had existed for hundreds of years, always were stronger empires against them. But because of the fact that they were morally bankrupt. In the end, uh, all the notes were called in. They were just wrong and eventually they paid the price 
Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I'm going to, this people will be fed the bitter herb, which is lana. It's an herb that is a, the uh, Latin name for it is Artemisia which I'm sure uh, does something for everybody. But it's a, uh, it's a very bitter herb. So it's not poisonous, but it's very bitter. But vishkisi may rosh, I shall give them to drink waters of rosh. Rosh is already a poisonous substance. The drink that they will drink is like hemlock. It will destroy them. Now that's the description of the exile. That's the description of the punishment that's brought upon the Jewish people. I shall scatter them among nations that neither they nor their fathers ever heard of them. The uh, scattering of the Jewish people throughout the world. So in our time we begin to realize how far the Jewish people are scattered when we see the ingathering of the Jewish people, where Jews come from, all over the world, but places we never heard of, places that, you're, that no one ever knew of. And even in these places I shall have the sword pursue them, until they shall be destroyed. So the Radak says here, destroyed means that the majority of the Jewish people will not survive the exile. Which is again a historical and demographic fact that we can, uh, we can attest to, that the majority of the Jewish people have not survived the exile. Not physically, well if we count it physically or spiritually, And the sword has pursued us wherever we have been. Again, the frightening uh, comment, but the, the, the frightening comment is that he's standing 2,600 years ago and talking about today. And he sees it. Komar Hashem Svokos, he's bonanu. Think about this. He's bonanu. Give it some thought. Think about it. Think about your situation. What is happening? Call the professional mourners. There were women who attended funerals and who mourned and wept. And that was their profession. They were professional criers. And that's true in the Near East today, in the Middle East today, in the Arab um, you know, and it was true in Eastern Europe also, that if a person wanted to have a, uh, a deluxe first-class funeral, so then they hired people to come and cry, because otherwise nobody cried. So they hired people to come and cry to raise the emotions of the moment. Those are the Makoninos. They are the professional criers, the professional weepers. So in our time, when the macho is just the opposite, right? Not to cry. So we don't have that institution. 
prevalent. But uh, it was uh, it was well known in the ancient world and even even till our time. Velachachomos and to the wise women who know how to mourn, shilchu, send for them the savona and let them come. And over here, it's almost a mock. Uh, he makes a mockery of it. Sarcastic. Usmaherna, tell him to come quickly, because the Churban is here. You don't have time to delay. Vesisena oleinu nehi, and let them raise this song of weeping, of elegy about us. Let them moan. Vesiradna inenu dima, let them cause that our eyes should drip with tears. Vapapenu. Hapapenu are our eyelids. Yizlumoyim should run with water. Call them that they should awaken within us the emotion of tears. It's interesting. The Novi says that the Jewish people had sunk to such a level that they couldn't cry anymore. They didn't even appreciate what was happening to them. You had to call the professional criers in order to instill in them that emotion of the uh, destruction. Because there is a voice of weeping, of elegy, of crying that is heard from the mountain of Zion. And the voice says, How have we been despoiled? How did it happen? that we have been so despoiled, that everybody that wants to can come and rip us off and take a piece from us and rob us and do whatever they want. How did this happen? Boshnu Maud, we are terribly embarrassed. It's a shame for us. Kiozavnu Oretz, that we are forced out of our own land that we are thrown out of our own land. So that was always thrown up to the Jewish people and throughout its long exile that they were a homeless people, the wandering Jew, the legend of uh, like the flying Dutchman or the uh, man without a country who was condemned to travel on ships throughout the world, never being a citizen of any country, never having a place. So that was always seen as a shameful experience. Not just painful, but shameful, that no one wanted him. It's not till the 19th century in most of the countries in Europe that Jews became citizens of those countries. And it didn't really help us at the time of test. It's hard for American Jews to feel that way because we all feel we're Americans. We're all citizens, and we're, you know, we're Americans. Again, that's the, that's the blessing of this country. But the truth of the matter is that in no other part of the world the Jews feel that they're part of the country, even though they are citizens. Even You'll go to France, even in England, in many, many parts of the world, the Jews feel that, you know, that they have their bags packed. In the United States, we feel that... Uh, that that's not true. K 
we have been forsaken, we don't have a country. They have thrown down our dwelling places. We have no country. They have thrown down the country. They have torn down the wall. We have nowhere to go. Kishmano Noshim Dvar Hashem. Again, the novice speaks to these women. He has the fascination with these women, with the professional mourners, with those who come to cry. Kishmano Noshim Dvar Hashem. Let the women hear what God said. And let your ears absorb the words that God has to say. In other words, be cognizant of what's happening here. To teach your daughters how to weep. Train the next generation, the Novi says. Because it's not going to be over in a minute. You're going to need another generation of criers. You're going to need the next generation of weepers, of professional mourners. The Isha Reusa Kino, and let every woman teach her friend Kino how to mourn, how to say and sing the songs of sadness. Kiolo Moves Bechaloneino, again the great Posik. Frightening Pasuk. Death has jumped in our windows. The imagery. Sometimes death comes in through the door. He's expected. And sometimes there's, God forbid, a tragedy and death jumps in through the window. Like an armed burglar that no one expected. That's the imagery of the Novi leaps through the window. He has come within our palaces, meaning our most protected places, where we felt that we were not in danger, and we could not be reached. I was in Israel for the... Uh, so I went to see some of the damage that the Scuds did on the way to Bnei Brox. I went near Savion, right? So you got the fanciest, most expensive... Homes, right? And some of them just leveled, right? Now, so one of the ironies of the homes is that the only thing that was left around it was the big high fence, which is meant to keep out all the intruders, right? So that's the only thing that's left. The house is leveled. That's Borbarmanoseno. It has come to our palace. In the palace where we are protected and at home, you know, we have the burglar alarm system. And death has come in. It has cut off the infant in the street. Killed our children. The young men who walked in the streets have been felled by the enemy. So that, the, that description that the Navi says is again the description of the exile the description of the destruction of the Jewish people and the uh, powerfully uh, descriptive form of how he sees death as an intruder that leaps in through the window, completely unexpected.
Dabir Mashem. Say as follows, God says. Tell them the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't portray it in a more positive light. Dabir Ko, this is what you should say. Corpses of people will fall like dung in the fields of no value. So again, unfortunately, in our generation, we have lived to see that this is a literal description. It's not to be taken just allegorically or figuratively, but taken literally. People will be like sheaves of grain that fall after the gleaners, after the harvesters have gone through. So a piece of grain falls, nobody cares. Nobody bends to pick it up. That will be the fate of human beings. No one will come to gather them. So it means not only will no one will come to gather them, in terms of help and aid and succor to, to try and revive them, but that even when they're dead, nobody will bury them. And be left vain masses. There'll be no one to bury them. So, again, the, uh, anyone who has uh, read or uh, any books on the Holocaust or seen any of the pictures uh, realizes that uh, these words are... Uh, Literal fact, exactly what happened to us, without any embellishment. Now the Haftarah concludes with uh, two, again, this is the epigram of the Haftarah, of how God looks at the world, two of the most important psukim in Tanakh. Kolomar Hashem, thus says the Rabboni Shalom. Let not the wise man praise himself in the fact that he is wise. He has all of his diplomas hanging on the wall. All of his intellectual accomplishments. Neither let the strong man the courageous man, the hero, praise himself because of his courage, because of his physical strength. Al Yishalel Oshir Biyoshro. And let not the wealthy man praise himself, feel sanguine regarding himself because of his wealth. So the Mephorshim say that this not only refers as it does to the literal interpretation the wise man in terms of a person who has good intelligence, and the gibor, the strong man, the hero who has uh, good physical traits, and the osher, the wealthy man who has wealth, money. But this refers to the attributes that the rabbis list in the book of Pirkei Ovos, where it says, Ezeu osher, I'm sorry, Ezeu chochom, who is the wise man? So the Gemara there, the Mishnah there says, He is someone who learns from life, from every person. And who is the Gibor? HaKovesh Yitzro, who is able to 
control his desires. And the Oshir is Asameach Bechelko, the one who is satisfied. So we'll say, what can be greater than that? So the Novi comes and says, no, that's also not it. That's still not it. You still don't understand what, what God means. Even if you, even if we would achieve those levels, which are very difficult to achieve, uh, which are of inordinate greatness, but even if a person would achieve it, al Yishalel, let him not praise himself. Let him not think that somehow he has been able to achieve greatness. If you want something to be proud about, proud of, you want to say a compliment about yourself, God said, I'll tell you what the compliment is. Haskel viodoa osi. That they know what I am. They know what I want that they have a clue as to what God wants in the world. That they have an attachment to me, which is uh, the highest of all accomplishments. I always mentioned that Rabbi Rosenberg, the Colonel of Rocha, always used to say, Gott. what does God say to this? What would God say to this set of circumstances? My caveat to that is, if you can't think in terms of God, so what would the IRS say? But that's Haskell Viadorosi. To understand, what do I say about it? How do I view it? What do I think about it? That's the basic question of Jewish life. It's the basic question, the question in life generally. Ki ani Hashem chesed mishpot and here God defines himself. I am the Lord, O Chesed, that does, Chesed is kindness, righteousness, goodness. God only wants to do good, not bad. Mishpat, a sense of righteousness, of justice, of truth. That's what Mishpat is. Utzdoka. So Utzdoka here means not Charity, because charity here is included in chesed. But zdoka means doing what is right, what is moral, what is correct. The Lord prides himself, Kaviochal, on those three things, on goodness, on truth, and on righteousness, on rectitude, on moral rectitude. God says, these are the things, this is what I want. So if you want to be proud of yourself, if you want to say, look what a great person I am, look what I accomplish, look what kind of a, of, a, of a human being I am, this is the measure. The measure is haskel viodoa osi. Do you understand what I want? And if you would understand that, so then everything else falls into place. So that, in effect, is the uh, consolation to the entire haftorah of bitterness which has preceded these last two psukim, because uh, we can see a glimmer of hope that if we are able to uh, somehow strive for those goals and reach those ideals, 
So then the Lord is on our side. Then we're allowed to boast. Then we're allowed to be proud of ourselves. And that is the, uh, the task that the uh, entire history of the Jewish people has placed upon every generation of Jews to attempt to search out and find the Rabboni Shalom and follow his path and his way of life and his goals and definitions for us. J.M. and the A.M., my thanks, Rabbi Wine. As I uh, said to him last week on the air on Friday, his contribution to our um, to our nine days format in general is amazing, and what he does for us, Stafka on Tisha B'Av, and the couple of days before is really incredible. All the different uh, lectures regarding this very sad and important period of time. JM and the AM as we get set to close out a JM and the AM broadcast for Tisha B'Av morning. I want to thank Rabbi Goldwasser for the amazing Kinnis presentation. Uh, I have some reminders. First of all, in terms of our schedule, Matis will be doing tomorrow the 10th of Av special with the stories of Reb Shlomo Kalbach. And I thank Matis in advance. We'll get back to a regular program, quote-unquote, um, during the live lunch on Wednesday tomorrow, which Avrami's going to conduct between noon and 2 o'clock, a little bit later than usual, so he can transition into regular music uh, at that point. Uh, Thursday will be at Yom NCSY in Israel. Friday with the NCSY summer programs in Israel. Please tune in. The, the shows we do with NCSY are always great, very high-spirited, and the perfect mood for post-Tisha B'Av building up to Shabbos Nachamu. Our weekly update will return next week. Um, so we are getting ready for a, a wonderful journey to the Holy Land, and I thank you all for your good wishes in that regard. Don't forget... <clears throat> that Charlie Harari at 6.30 p.m. on the Nahum Siegel Network. 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time today on the Nahum Siegel Network will host The Missing Link. What is The Missing Link to bringing the Geula? Charlie Harari with an amazing panel today to wrap up with Project Inspire, to wrap up Tisha B'Av. 6.30 Eastern Time right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure to be tuned in. And, of course, don't forget to bring your Talos and Tefillin at 2 o'clock to the Isaiah Wall, 43rd and 1st. That's on 1st Avenue, across the street from the UN, at 43rd Street. Bring your towels and tefillin, and um, get ready for the Tisha B'Av Mincha service, which is always inspiring. Achenu Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. <clears throat> and that will close out our Tisha B'Av program for this morning. More of Rabbi Wine's Tisha B'Av appropriate lectures are coming up between now and 1 o'clock before we switch back to our three-week stream format. And then at 6.30 Eastern Time, Charlie Harari live on the NahumSiegel Network to help everybody close out the day of Tisha B'Av. Have an easy and meaningful fast, everybody. Next time I speak with you, it'll be from the Holy Land, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Till then, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. <laughs>